If you brought a Bible, let's go please to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning, uh, we'll read one verse of scripture this morning, verse 13 of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Praise God. I don't know if there are many of you here, there may be some of you here who remember a uh, celebrity among our churches some years ago, his name was Milton Turner. Anybody remember Brother Milton? Some of you do. Uh, he was a uh, dynamic uh, African American preacher and uh, singer and uh, he had a saying, he would say, it's only a test, you guys remember that? It's only a test. Well, I'm going to borrow from Brother Milton this morning, and I want to use as a subject this morning, it's only a test. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's only a test. Growing up, every once in a while, you would hear a beeping sound on the television, and then they would come on and say, this has been a test of the emergency broadcast system. It's only a test. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I can tell you this from the Lord. Say it with me, it's only a test. So relax, breathe in, breathe out, it's gonna be all right. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. Father, I thank you for your word, for it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to divide between the soul and the spirit, as between the bone and the marrow. This morning, we, your people, have come into your house. We need to hear from God. We want to hear from God, and I thank you that you have promised, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I pray that you would fill your people by the preaching of your holy word, that you would anoint my lips of clay as well to deliver the word of God with clarity and with accuracy. For your name's sake we pray. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It's only a test. There's a word used here in uh, this text this morning, translated into English as the word temptation. But really the word could deal with uh, more than just temptation. It also deals with trials. And so I want to speak this morning about the temptations and trials that you and I will face in our daily life. You are going to experience moments of testing in this life. We are going to have opportunities to respond to life on any number of occasions, in any number of ways. And I want to give you a biblical perspective on how to handle the test of life. If you have graduated from a school of any kind, you know that from time to time, you have to have 
a test. There's a moment at which you must give an accounting for the things that you have learned. And oftentimes when we experience testing, it catches us unaware or by surprise. And the result, the reaction of that test or that temptation uh, can be very different depending on what mood you catch us in and uh, what situation we are in. Now the Apostle Paul in this chapter, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, gives us an example and unfortunately, it's not a good example. It is a negative example of how people in the past handled the test of their life. And he uses as the example the nation of Israel. And I know all of you perhaps have heard about the 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And I'm not going to take the whole time this morning to uh, tell that story. But I just want to tell you about four tests now, that the nation of Israel went through, and do you know that they failed everyone? They failed four out of four. How do you like that for a ranking? They were a, a people who responded a wrong, wrongly to every single encounter of trial and temptation in their life. Now, the good news is the Bible said that this happened to them for our instruction. So we can learn from their negative example and put into practice those things that God would have us to learn today. Now here we have it, the nation of Israel, they're in the wilderness. If you read the book of Numbers, you will read the account of this experience. They have come out of Egypt. 400 years they lived in Egypt. For a great number of those years they were slaves. But now by the mighty hand of God, they have been drawn out of e Egypt. They have been drawn out of Egyptian bondage. And they have been brought into liberty. They have been brought into freedom. And God's plan is to take them into the promised land. He has a better thing for them than they have experienced uh, heretofore. And so the scripture tells us that while they were in the wilderness, they encountered a variety of tests and temptations Unfortunately, this people was an unbelieving people. They were a people who could not believe God. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have a capacity to believe God? Say amen if you do. Well, that's going to be the number one key to success in your Christian walk is the capacity to believe God. If you read verse 6 of our chapter this morning, you will find the first sin of the nation of Israel. The Bible said that they craved meat. Now, um, meat and uh, craving meat is not necessarily a sin, and I'm very grateful for that because I do like uh, T-bone steak and carne guisada. Uh, I think uh, I'm not alone in here this morning. But the fact was that the, the way they went about getting meat was the problem. Here's, here's how this was going. The Bible said that every morning the Lord would provide manna from heaven. Literally, he would provide them their daily food every single morning. Six days a week he provided for them. And on Saturday he provided twice as much so that they could, on Friday, so they could eat on, on the Sabbath and not have to labor for their food. And so this was a miraculous provision from God. A supply that came directly from heaven. Well, the Bible said they got tired of eating manna. 
And they started to complain. They started to grumble. And these were their words. We want meat. And, and uh, I can almost hear it in a whining sort of way. And uh, I don't know about you, but whining can be annoying if it gets to you, right? Uh, but I want meat. And when are we going to have some meat? I, I'm tired of this manna. Always manna. Monday, manna. Tuesday, manna. Three, uh, Thursday, manna. I want some meat. Where's the meat, Lord? And then they started saying this. Oh, you know, do you remember when we were way back? Back in Egypt. Oh, yes, I remember Egypt. And this is what they said. We used to eat meat for free back in Egypt. I don't think that when you eat meat under slavery, technically it's free, right? You're working for food. Somebody else is benefiting and profiting from your labor, but they were so stuck on their, on their craving that they could not acknowledge the provisions that God had already made. And they started to say, you know, back in Egypt we had onions, we had leeks. I don't even know what leeks are, but they don't sound too tasty. And, and we had free fish and free meat. And so they began to crave. And, and friends, this is generally what gets people into trouble. Can I just warn you this morning? Watch out what you crave. The cravings of the flesh will always lead you downward. The cravings of the flesh are a trap and they are trouble. What you ought to follow is the craving of the Spirit. I mentioned it in the prayer this morning. Jesus said, blessed are those who crave righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is there anybody in here who has a craving for righteousness? The craving of the flesh will lead you downward. Now here's the les lesson we need to learn from this. That God has no problem delivering meat. Say amen. You know the Bible said that he sent a wind and he brought quail in from, this, from the coast and just swept train cars full of meat into the camp. They ate so much meat the Bible said it was as if it was coming out of their noses. God has no problem producing the things that you and I need. Here was the problem, that they were slaves. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. You see, some of us, uh, we get out of Egypt, but Egypt and the way Egypt thinks, the way Egypt does things is still lingering around. You're out of the world, but the world isn't quite out of you. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to bring the world out of you. He's brought you out of the world, but now he wants to bring the world out of you. You see, in Egypt, they were slaves. And slaves don't know anything about asking. Slaves only know how to complain. The way you get something as a slave is to complain about it. And so instead of asking the Lord and saying, Lord, would you provide some meat? Instead of acting out of faith, they act out of unbelief. And they began to provoke the Lord God. And so as a result, the, the Apostle Paul says that we can learn from them that they craved evil things. 
Because they were, they were not acting in faith, they were acting in unbelief. Now I want you to know this this morning, whatever it is you need from God, you're going to only receive it by faith. Everything we receive from God is received by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now Jesus made a very clear statement. He said, ask and it shall be given. That means that God encourages the asking. He encourages his children to come to him with the attitude of a son, not the attitude of a slave. And so we come to him as a son and we say, God, I am asking you for these things. And he will give us those things that he has pro provided for us. Then we read in verse 8 of our chapter that they acted immorally. The book of Numbers tells us that they played the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Now their cravings have gone beyond the belly and now they have entered into sexual sin. You say, Pastor Isaac, what is sexual sin? I'll just make it real clear for you. Sexual sin is any, any sexual activity outside of marriage. That's sexual sin. They entered into fornication. They were, they, were, uh, uh, they were committing adultery and they were doing it with, with the pagans. They were doing it with those nations that were going to corrupt them and pollute them going forward. And so instead of, instead of responding to immorality and this temptation that came against them with faith again, they, they followed their craving. They followed that path of least resistance in their soul and they went down toward the depravity of the human heart. Did you know, friend, that the human heart without God is desperately wicked? That's what the Bible says. And so the answer for, uh, for this temptation is to flee from it. You know, we have an example of it in the Bible. The Bible says that Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. She said to him uh, one day, hey, Joseph, you're a good-looking young man, and my husband is at home. And already you know this is a recipe for trouble, right? And uh, she invited him in to her bedroom, and she tried to, to uh, seduce the young man. And the Bible said she grabbed his cloak as he ran. Joseph had one gear at that moment, and it was out. I'm gone and he, he disappeared like those Bugs Bunny cartoons you know all you saw was a dust cloud behind Joseph he had learned the lesson that if you want to be uh, blessed by God you have to flee sexual sin somebody say amen this morning I know we live in the 21st century but God's policy hasn't changed on this fact and then in verse 9 we see the third sin of the nation of Israel. It says that they tried the Lord. They put God to the test. Again, unbelief. They have begun now to try God, to test God. Is God really with us? And really what does it mean to try God but to question God's loyalty to his word? To question God's commitment to his promises. And friends, this is a very dangerous place to be. Often people fall into cynicism in their Christian walk. And they begin to try the Lord. They begin to test God. And, and instead of believing his word, they start to, to throw his word back at him as though he has failed them. And friend, the, the antidote to this is to trust God. 
You're going to be tempted to try God, but you need to learn to trust God. When you don't understand God, trust Him. When you can't see His hand, trust His heart. You may not be able to understand what He's doing, but you and I can trust that He knows what He is doing and that it is going to be for the blessing and benefit of our life and for our family. Is there anybody in the house of God this morning? So instead of trying God, trust Him. Surrender to Him, saying to God, I trust you. It's easy when the bank account is full and when your health is good and when there's peace at home. But it gets a lot harder, doesn't it, when you don't have as much money in the bank and there's not a whole lot of peace at home and you have a car with, with some problems in it and you have a job you might lose and then you start saying, but God, didn't you say and didn't you promise? And, and the attitude that comes out of a, of a trying heart can be very, uh, very harming to your Christian life. Instead, you and I need to learn how to respond with trust. To say, God, I trust you. Do you trust him this morning? And then they committed a fourth sin. And this is found in verse 10. And this one, you now maybe you say, Pastor, I got it on the craving thing. I got those things under control. I'm doing Weight Watchers. I am good. And maybe you say, Pastor, sexual immorality, not my thing. It's under control. And maybe you say, Pastor, I would never try God. But you know, this last one is the easiest one. And the Bible said that they grumbled against the Lord. They just murmured against God. What is murmuring? What is grumbling? Can I keep it simple? It's complaining. Oh, the temptation to complain. I, I have a rule at the Bible school, and any, just about anything I do, I say there's two rules. Number one is be flexible, and number two is no complaining. And I had a student, I heard him complaining. I walked into the room, he was complaining. He said, Pastor, I'm not complaining, I'm explaining. <laughs> Some of us are very good at explaining. But did you know that complaining never solved a single problem? Saying this house is a mess. Never clean the house. Complaining never solved the problem. And so this people became a grumbling and complaining people. And poor old Pastor Moses, you know, he, he had his head in his, in his hand saying, God, what did I do to deserve this? These people constantly murmuring against God and against Moses. Oh, how good it was back in the day. And, and that temptation comes to us at times. We start to think, oh, it was so good. But you know, if you would just stop to think about the place that Jesus brought you out of, that place of brokenness, that place of despair, that place of, of, of lack, that place of loss, there was nothing good back there. Jesus brought you out and he brought you up. And so the answer today is not to complain about life. But the answer, the antidote to complaining 
is praise and thanksgiving to God. It's hard to complain when you're thanking God. So you might as well start the day by saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you because I am breathing. Thank you because my children are breathing. Thank you because you have given us life. Thank you because we have a roof over our head. Thank you because we have, a, a, we have our breakfast, our lunch, and our dinner. Thank you, God, because there is fuel in the car. Thank you because I still have a job. Thank you because I still have my health. You know, there was an old chorus we used to sing in the Hispanic church back in the day. It said, I'll praise God. It said, I'll praise him with my voice. And if I don't have my voice, I'll praise him with my hands. And if I don't have my hands, I'll praise him with my feet. And if I don't have my feet, he said, I'll praise him in heaven. Whatever I've got left, we'll praise God and give him thanks. Are you a thankful person? Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his mercy endureth forever. So we can learn from their example. They were tested and they failed the test. I want you to pass the test. Say amen. I want you to succeed. And God wants you to succeed. And he has seen to it that you and I will have the resources needed to be able to pass the test. Tell your neighbor, it's only a test. Life will throw things at you from time to time. Has it ever felt to you that life was mocking you? Like your circumstances literally rose up. Just to mock you. Just to, just to remind you that you are a nobody, that you are nothing. And, and life will often do that and it seems as though there's a conspiracy against us. When there is a challenge in our life and, and testing comes and temptation comes. You know what the book of James says? James chapter 1 verse 2 it says, Brethren, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. What do you mean consider it all joy? Instead of complaining about the trials... Consider the trial joy. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces patience. Here's what I want you to know this morning. That when you are tested, it is producing something in you. Every trial you face will produce something in you. It's going to produce something in you that is going to make you that which God has desired for you to become. Now here we have in verse 13, if you have your Bible open, let's dissect this verse for a second. It says, no temptation or trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. First thing I want you to note this morning is that the test that you are in is not a new test. You're not the first person to ever experience this thing before. Often we have a very narrow perspective. And we think, I'm the only person who's ever been through this trial. I'm the only one who's ever had 
this circumstance or this problem arise in my life. And you know, the enemy would love to tell you that so that you can have a pity party and invite only yourself because he knows that if he can keep you feeling sorry for yourself, he will keep you down and he'll keep you in unbelief. And so you and I need to realize that no trial and no temptation is unique to us. Everyone in the, in the world uh, will have trials, and those trials may be difficult, they may be hard, but they are not new. When you and I face a trial, all we have to do is look up and look around, and you will find that there is somebody out there who has been through what you're going through right now. You might think, I'm the only one who's ever lost a loved one. Look up. And you will discover that there are people who have lost a loved one. You might think, I'm the only one who ever lost a job. But look up. You're not the only one. Others have gone through the same trial. You might say, I'm the only one who's ever been in this kind of a financial pinch. Friend, you are not alone. And this is what the Apostle Paul tells us. He says, these trials are common to man. They are an aspect of human experience that you and I are going to have to deal with until Jesus comes. Uh, bottom line, this is what Adam and Eve left us, okay? They left us a world full of troubles, a world full of trials. And often, if we're so narrow in our thinking, we start thinking, it's just me. No one's ever been through this. No one's ever experienced this before. And we start to feel that we have been targeted. But friend, you're just living life. My dad had a saying that was a little bit annoying, okay? Uh, he was... Uh, you would go to him with a problem, and he would say, that's nothing. I wanted you to pat me on the back and tell me how, how bad it was, and you're sorry for me. That was his deal. Just, that's nothing. You should check out what I went through this week. Tell your neighbor, that's nothing. It's annoying, isn't it? I want you to I want you to patty cake me. I want you to treat me like a baby. That's nothing. Listen, church, when you and I face a trial, the enemy will come and tell us that, it, that this is you're the only one who's ever gone through it. You need to tell the devil, that's nothing. This is only a test. This is only a test. This thing is going to pass. You know, I had a student. He took a test. It took him eight hours. You're going to think by that that I'm the most difficult professor in the world. Eight hours. I finally went in. I said, son, if you don't know the material by now, you ain't going to know it. It's, it's over. You know, no test ever lasted forever. It may have lasted eight hours, but it didn't last forever. No season will ever last forever. If you're in a season of downs, get up and remember, no season ever lasted forever. If you're going through sickness, remember, no season ever lasted forever. If you're going through a time of stretching, remember, no season ever lasted forever. This thing is going to pass, and when it is over, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be wiser, and I'm going to be more blessed than I was when I went in because it is common to man. God is going to see you through it. That's nothing. 
You get to crying about a, a uh, ingrown toenail. That's nothing. Somebody else had their foot amputated. You get to crying about how your house is too small. That's nothing. Someone else is praying for a house. Pastor, do you really have to do this? You get to crying about how, how your husband isn't what you thought he was. That's nothing. Somebody else got his brother. Somebody else got a worse copy of him. So when you roll over at night, you see that beautiful face, you just say, it's only a test. <laughs> no test ever lasted forever. You see, it's all in how you get the perspective on it. This thing, whatever it is you're going through, it could be health-wise, it could be financial, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional. And the worst thing is that because it's transient, it's temporary, it, the worst thing is if you make a long-term decision in the middle of a short-term problem, you start having consequences. And so it's better to hang in there and be led by the Spirit of God. So if you get a flat, you don't need a new car. All right? If you have a bump in your marriage, you don't need a new marriage. You just hang in there. This thing is only a test, and God is going to bring you through it. Say that again. It's nothing. Now, right here in the middle of the verse is a big T-bone stick. You want a bite of that? He said, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Here's the T-bone stick. And God is faithful. Say that out loud with me. God is faithful faithful. That is a T-bone steak. You see, if the nation of Israel, while eating manna, had just thought about that and said, God is faithful. And if they had asked God for T-bone, they wouldn't have had to eat quail. But because of their unbelief, they forgot that God was faithful. But I want you to chew on this this week, the fact that God is faithful. Faithful. That the Lord our God is a faithful God. Therefore, the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God. He keeps his covenants to a thousand generations. That is an incredible statement. God keeps his word to one thousand generations. You will never outlive the faithfulness of God. I said you will never outlive the faithfulness of God. It would be easier for the sun not to rise in the morning than for God to be unfaithful. 
faithful. The Bible said that God is faithful for he cannot deny himself. You and I are unfaithful, but God remains faithful because he cannot deny his nature. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful. He is enduring. We're saying about it today. He is everlasting. He has no rival. He has no equal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no, no depth or, or height. He is the eternal God. And he is a faithful God. The Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Second Thessalonians 3. Three, you see, when you get into a trial, you get into a pinch, you get into a test, you need to remember that God is faithful. So you look at that trial and you say, that's nothing for my God. God is faithful. That's nothing for my God. My God is bigger than that. My God is greater than that. My God can surpass that. And you know, friends, your God and my God has seen things that you and I will never have to see. He has gone down the road before us. He has approached the enemy. He has gone through the storm. And he is the master of the storm. And he is eternally faithful. Somebody ought to give God praise for his faithfulness. So here's what I want you to remember to do. When you're going through a trial, look back. And count the blessings of God. Count the things that he brought you through. Has he brought you through any storms? Has he brought you through any tests? Has he brought you through any temptation? Then recall those things. And as you recall those things, you're going to realize this, as I've realized many times. If God was going to quit on me, he would have done it back there. Why bring me all the way here and then drop me now? If he brought me this far, it's because he's going to take me all the way home. The, the, the hymnist wrote, he said, grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. That's the faithfulness of God. God's going to finish what he started in your life. Chew on that this week. Think about what he's brought you through. What he's brought you from. And if you run out of testimonies, think about the, those who came before you. In your family who have served the Lord. And if you run out of their testimonies, remember the testimonies of the saints of the scriptures. And fill your, your heart with that testimony of faith. Because the word, the faith comes by hearing. As you start to hear the word of God, you start to rehearse the things that God has done in your life. It gets harder to complain when you realize all that God has done heretofore and his faithfulness up until this moment. And so right in the middle of the text, Paul inject, injects this truth into our heart. God is Faithful. Are you going through a test? God is faithful. Have you been given a difficult a word? God is faithful. Have you come up against a diagnosis or a prognosis that is evil? God is faithful. Have you heard bad news from the lawyer? God is faithful. I wish I was preaching to a church this morning that knew the faithfulness of God.
No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. Now note the rest of the text. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. God has given us a promise right here in this text. He says, I will not allow you to be put under more pressure than you can resist. Did you know that God made you? God made you and he knows what you're made of. God made you and he knows what you're made of. And he knows what you can stand. What you can resist. The issue is you don't know. You'll never know till you're tested what kind of metal is on the inside of you. So we complain about the test, but the fact is that it's the test that proves the metal. The Bible said the Lord told the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 8, I've taken you into the wilderness to show you what was in your heart. Why did he put them to the test? So that he could show them what was in their heart. So that he could show them the metal that was in them, the, the unbelief that was in them. And friend, sometimes you and I get squeezed by life. What happens when things get squeezed? Stuff starts coming out. You get squeezed and the, the old sin nature starts coming out. The old vocabulary starts coming out. But as he puts you under that test, that pressure, those, those weaknesses begin to rise. He removes them from you. And that's why the text just following this one says, beware if you think you stand lest you fall. Be careful that you not think, no, I've got it all together. I'm fine. But because sometimes in our, in our pride, we, re we forget that we are but dust. That we are just a, 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 a creature in need of divine strength. And so we're told here that he will not allow us to be pressed or tempted or tried beyond that which we are able. God knows what you can stand. And God, because he made you, he will not allow anything to come into your life that you can't stand. And I can hear you saying today, some of you in your mind, you're saying, that must mean that I can stand a lot because God has allowed a whole lot into my life, preacher. Yes, that's what it means. It means you're tougher than you thought. I said it means you're tougher than you thought. He will not allow something to come into your life that you are not able to stand or bear up under the pressure of that thing. So can I give you some good news today? You don't have to quit. You don't have to lose. You don't have to give up. You can win. You can push back. You can fight back. You can be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ because God has made you to stand this test. Story is told of a pastor and his wife that went on a cruise. And while they're on the cruise one night, they got caught up in a terrible storm. And that, that cruise ship was being uh, swayed back and forth. And so the pastor's wife called the captain. He was their friend. And she said, Captain, why did you bring us into this storm? Why not go around the storm? 
Why not, why not choose a different route? Why did you bring us into this storm? He said to her, listen, I'm the captain. And I know what this ship is made of. He said, in fact, this ship was made for this storm. So he said, you go to sleep. Because in the morning, we're going to be at the port of call just as scheduled. We're going to be on time and on schedule. Can I tell you today that this ship that you're in was made for this storm? God knows what he put into you. He knows what he made you for. And you are going to be able to stand this storm. It will be difficult perhaps. It will be a test of your faith. It will be a moment in which you might wonder as though as to why God is doing this or has allowed this in your life. But friend, I want you to remember this. That if God allowed it, it's because God is with you to withstand it. And that he will be the strength that you need in the middle of that storm. Do you trust him today? Do you believe him today? He says, final point here. But with the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape also. So that you will be able to endure it. Now, I want you to notice this, because often we think, if God answers my prayer, he'll get me out of the test. He'll get me out of this trial. He'll get me out of the storm. I never promised that, did he? He said, with it, I will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. In the book of Isaiah, he said, when you go through the fire, it will not burn you. He didn't say, I'll get you out of the fire. He said, when you go through the fire. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you go through the waters, they will not drown you. He's saying, I'm going to bring you through this. Because the only way to grow you is to bring you through. And with the temptation, he says, I will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. I'm going to give you endurance. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you life in the middle of that thing. And when this is over, you're going to realize that I am stronger, more faith-filled than I was when it began. Because God gave me the way of escape so that I could endure this thing. What would happen to you if you're taking the test in the first grade and mama came in and said, come on baby, we're going home. You don't need to be taking any test. How far would you have gotten? Not very far at all. But because you had to go through that test and the next and the next, and the next. Every test you passed, you ended up on a higher level. You ended up on a higher plane. You had a different perspective. You had a different way of seeing God. A different way of understanding the scriptures. 
Friend, the Bible tells us that God knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. And the psalm reminds us of this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many? I think there was a typo there. I think God intended to say few. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But. Say that with me. But. It's a little conjunction. Changes the whole direction of the sentence. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord has delivered him out of them all. How many? All. He didn't just deliver you from a few. He delivered you out of them all. I want to close by just giving, sharing with you what the Lord put on my heart last night. Not at all related to this message, but I believe it ties in perfectly here. The Bible tells us that a little boy named David went to fight a giant. You know, he went to the brook, and what did he choose? He chose five smooth stones. How many are the afflictions of the righteous? Many. It was one giant. Why did he need five stones? Well, if you read the rest of the book of First and Second Samuel, you read that there were four other giants in the land. So when David went and chose those five stones, he chose one for Goliath, and one for number two, and one for giant number three, and one for giant number four, and one for giant number five. In other words, he saw his victory from the beginning. And he wouldn't get the last giant that he was an old man, but as a, a little boy, he already saw the end. I can imagine David thinking, the Lord has delivered me out of them all. And you know what those smooth stones tell us? How does a stone become smooth? It becomes smooth because in the, in the brook, it's striking up against other rocks. It's, it's passing over sand and gravel. And as that stone is going through and the pressure of the water, it's being smoothed, smoothed away. Those, those edges are being smoothed off. So, friend, when David chooses those smooth stones, he's choosing, as it were, those experiences of his life, those testimonies of God's faithfulness and saying, at the beginning I was a jagged rock, but by the time God got me through it, I was a smooth stone, an able, an able weapon in the hand of God. I want you to choose five smooth stones this morning and remember that God has been faithful and he's not just going to get you through this giant, but he's going to knock down every giant giant that you will ever face in the rest of your life. Somebody ought to get excited this morning. It's only a test. Would you stand with me please? It's only a test. And in that test that rock is being beat up against striking life but God is like sandpaper. He's refining you. He's purifying you, he's cleansing you, he's making you his own. What's the answer this morning? Trust him and praise him. Father, I thank you this morning for the incredible promise of your word. You are faithful. 
I pray right now for this congregation. So many of them facing trials, troubles. Some of them they caused because of poor decisions that they made. Some of them due to no fault of their own have come under testing, under trial this morning. I pray for each one that their faith fail not. That their trust would be as a solid foundation in Christ. For they have need of endurance. So that when they have run this race, they might receive that which was promised. I pray now for a good memory for every one of these believers. Give them a good memory so they can remember the things you've done for them. That they might call to mind the faithfulness of God in their past. That they might believe in the faithfulness of God in their present. That they might walk fearlessly toward their future. Knowing that this is but a moment. And that the reward will be sweeter in victory through trial. I ask you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Now, if you say, Pastor, I want renewed strength this morning. I want to put some things in God's hands that I've been trying to carry on my own. I want you to get into this altar. Don't think twice about it. If you're going through any kind of test at all, you say, Pastor, I just want to reach out to God this morning in faith. This altar is open to you. He's calling to you. He says, leave it to me. Put it in my hands. I am able. I am able. Trust me with it. Come on, this altar is open. I know there are many of you crying out for help this morning. God is here. God is here. You're not going to face it alone. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord, the Lord is greater. Greater.